Welcome into the Otson Audible's podcast. Your host, Eric Scopel, here today. It's that time of the year where everybody is busy doing a lot of different things on our site. We've got Matt Preem down in the Bay Area at Pac-12 Men's Media Basketball Day. Uh, we've got uh, who was supposed to be the fill-in on this podcast, Jared Mack, at a, uh, fall, fo- or a fall baseball, I should say, uh, scrimmage of some kind. And so it's just me here. But I do have a guest because it is that day of the week where we have on a guest from a rival program. And, and this week, Oregon plays California in Berkeley. And we've got Jackson Moore of Bear Territory with us to preview this game. Jackson, before I even let you speak, I want to I want to kind of uh, credit you for being, I think, our most used guest on the history of this podcast. You wear and you've got the 24-7 sports hat on. You should have you have how many hats do you wear at this point in terms of how many schools are you covering? Because it, it, it always boggles my mind. I feel like every time we talk, you've added another school. And we should note we had you on this podcast like three weeks ago for the Stanford game. Are you have you added any new beats since I talked to you last? Yeah, no, I'm I'm covering the five teams. I got Cal and Stanford, of course. I've got Fresno State, that's a big one as well, and San Jose State over in the Bay Area too. So plus Hawaii as well, so, uh, a little bit all over the place, especially this time of year with uh, football and men's basketball, women's basketball coming up. So um, right before the uh, the real storm approaching with all the sports hitting at one time. Yeah, I, I, I was, we were talking before we started. Today was one of those days where I was running around town between Matthew Nutt Arena for women's basketball practice, back to uh, back over to the HDC for football practice and football interviews. It, it is that time of the year. And as I said to open, we are very much spread out right now, but it's the fun part because we've got football, we've got basketball to talk about. And today we have, I think, a, a very interesting football game to talk about here. Um, number eight, Oregon, on a really hot streak here, going against a Cal team that isn't on a good streak right now. They've lost three straight, kind of two programs going, you know, two ships going in different directions, I guess, if you will. Let's just start with this of like, I was really impressed with the way the start the season started for Cal. They won a couple of non-conference games. They almost beat Notre Dame in South Bend. They kind of blew out Arizona. And yet the last three weeks haven't been pretty, including a loss to Colorado. What's changed? Has anything changed? Is this just who this Cal team is? And kind of where are things at right now as we've reached, I guess, I guess surpassed, I should say, the midway point? Yeah, the, the O-line has been a struggle all year long, win or lose, and that's kind of been the common theme. I, I think that the first few games against some lesser opponents and even against Notre Dame, who was just going into that game with adjusting to a backup quarterback, that the Golden Bear defense really carried the load and the offense was able to operate in spurts enough to put up enough points to win against teams like UC Davis and UNLV, of course, and Game uh, very close at Notre Dame, uh, but then they've just faced some of these Pac-12 offenses that are just at a, a different level. Even Arizona uh, really gave the Golden Bears a lot of trouble. Um, Washington State, uh, Washington last week, even though Cal held Washington to a season low of 28 points, they gave up 475 yards. They gave up 28 first downs. UW was 10 of 17 on third downs. So, you know, the Cal's kind of getting some praise for only giving up 28 points. But uh, you look at that box score, and it wasn't all that great of a defensive performance, really. So you pair a defense that's not quite up to the Wilcox standards to stop some of the high-powered Pac-12 offenses this year with an offense that can't stay consistent with its O-line, and it's caused a, a pretty poor recipe right now. 
you mentioned the defense and maybe not being up to the Wilcox standard. I think that's maybe what I, where I wanted to start anyway with this podcast of since Justin Wilcox is, this is his seventh, seventh season or sixth season, sixth season, sixth mm-hmm. season. He's been here for a while. It's kind of established what you get out of a Wilcox coach team um, while he's been at Cal. It was the reason that they were so successful his first three years, really strong defenses. I think back to some of those, I think 2018 and, and even 19, some of the defenses and the defensive backfields, you had all sorts of NFL caliber players there. And you look up now, and as you mentioned it, not quite up to standard. And I think the past defense is the one where I go, this, this feels just a little bit odd because they are actually worse than this Oregon team in past defense. And, and we talked about on our show kind of highlighting some of the reasons Oregon's past defense has struggled, whether it be linebackers in space, man, man coverage on the outside etc for kind of where those struggles have come from what kind of gives with this Cal defense especially maybe in the back end or just in terms of defending the pass because I think when you talk about Cal under Wilcox it has been well you know you're at least going to have a strong defense that doesn't give up the big play that doesn't give up a lot of passing yards and it seems like this Cal team maybe gives up at least more yards and 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 and, and passes downfield than what you're accustomed to yeah, I think, you know, personnel-wise, they don't seem to be ill-equipped there. Um, the only sixth-year senior on the team that's not a transfer is Daniel Scott. He's a team captain. He's starting at safety. And they had two players in the secondary who uh, were basically missed all of last season and were really a downfall for last year's team with Craig Woodson at safety and Colin Gamble at nickelback. Both of those guys are back. Lumagia Hearns has missed the last game and a half, but He's been there for most of the season, might be there on Saturday as well. He's the top corner. They, they really only have one hole and hasn't been a glaring spot for them either. I think the biggest issue has been more up front with the pass rush. The They're just giving up too much time against opposing quarterbacks, and uh, eventually <laughs> the, the, the secondary breaks down and they give up those plays. Um, Cal has gone away from the traditional 3-4 to more of a 2-4-5 nickel. Um, they're not very well um, set up on the D line and really probably the two best players in the trenches have not been available for most of the season. Uh, Brett Johnson, who was really the only star experienced kind of guy on the D line um, suffered a second straight season ending injury before ever playing a game for this year. And then UCLA grad transfer Odua Isabar as well. Um, he's went out for the second week. They're still trying to hope that he comes back. So, I mean, realistically, those are probably the two guys that might have had the most talent on the line of scrimmage that they don't have. And the rest of the D-line, outside linebacker unit is not particularly strong. Um, Ricky Correa is a big nose tackle that stepped in well. Um, Xavier Carlton, transfer from Utah, has been pretty solid, but uh, I mean, they're playing a lot of guys at those positions, and not a lot of them have much experience or much of a successful resume under them yet. So it's been, uh, I think, more of what's happening in the trenches than, per se, the talent in the secondary. And I think one thing I should note just for listeners about some of the past defensive stats, you have to acknowledge the offenses, and you kind of did earlier, that Cal has faced – they faced Washington, number one in the Pac-12, one of the best nationally throwing the football. They faced Arizona, number two in the conference, in throwing the football. Um, you know, Washington State is fifth. We all kind of, I think, Oregon, we, they faced Washington State. We saw what Cam Ward could do in that game. There's kind of an understanding. Colorado is dead last, and that was a game where, I don't know, 
that was probably not a, not a, I don't think there's much from that game you know how to take away from it. I know certainly I don't of just like it's a pretty bad Colorado team. I don't know how that was 20 to 13 in their favor. Um, we can maybe get to that in a moment, but I, I just think that maybe needs to be at least included in the discussion of, okay, these past stats aren't great, but you look at some of the offenses they've faced pretty prolific past first offenses but Oregon's can be that as well, and I think that's where maybe if you're if you're kind of watching this game from an Oregon viewpoint, which our listeners certainly will be, um, you kind of you kind of going, okay, could this be a big Bo Nix game? Could this be a big Troy Franklin game, throwing the ball down the field? Um, okay, and, and just like a let's actually talk about the Colorado game because I, I I'll be honest, like it wasn't on my radar that Cal would lose that game. Um, I know they had a little bit of a hiccup late against Washington State, but that game was winnable. It was winnable against Notre Dame. Obviously, the Colorado game in Boulder goes to overtime, but this is a really bad Colorado team that I think this consensus was might not win a game in conference play after they had to make a coaching change. Kind of what what down there? Like how how did Cal lose that game? Like was it did it feel like did the ball not bounce their way? Did they just not play well? Did Colorado? play you know are we underselling what Colorado is like what was your kind of read on on that one yeah I would say maybe the biggest factor is from my point of view is that it was I'm not sure exactly what it was at CU but it was like parent weekend or I don't know some sort of home homecoming I don't know the stadium was full it was 0-5 Colorado and the stadium was sold out yeah. and it was loud and you know, you typically you anticipate you go into an 0-5 team and there's going to be no one there. And uh, every time the Buffaloes made one of their very few big plays over the course of regulation, it felt like they were at, you know, any of the, the bigger stadiums in the conference and the momentum swung more than uh, you would anticipate a game like that having. But the real breakdown, which has been Cal's problem all year, has been on the O-line. Um Colorado has a couple of guys up front that made life difficult for the Golden Bears. They couldn't run. They couldn't establish the pass. And then towards the end of the game, they just had a handful of plays all go the wrong way for them. That really turned the game. Colorado was able to force overtime. And then you even look at overtime, uh, the game-winning score that uh, ended up being the game-winning score was ruled incomplete. And then they review it. It turns out to be a touchdown on just a ridiculous catch. And then Cal, which would have had the game-tying touchdown, ball pop mm -hmm. gets knocked right out of his hands. I mean, if you would have like just stopped those plays right <laughs> at the point of when the ball hit the hands and what the announcers were saying, then you would have thought Cal would have won that game. But, uh, the two very, very unfortunate uh, series of events there for Cal. And then even the fourth down pass Cal had was considered a drop on fourth and, and goal there. So um, th there's no reason why Cal should have been in a game like that. But you look at the environment and – Cal's weaknesses and it uh, wasn't all that surprising. Uh, the game flowed the way it did because of those things. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Is it just – we can make this a quick answer if the answer is yes, but is it safe to say that in the trenches on both sides of the football is kind of where this Golden Bear team feels most susceptible? Yeah, absolutely. And the O-line especially, it's you – know, they had lost one starter to the portal who went to Oklahoma. They had a starter just part ways right before spring. They weren't expecting that. Uh, they had a medical retirement in the O-line. They had a senior – that one senior that graduated, I mean, they had, besides that one, uh, a lot of holes that they didn't anticipate filling and they tried through the portal and they've just been shorthanded there. It's been a tough go, especially on offense, less so on defense, but still an issue there. And I, I would imagine when you compound that with a quarterback who I want to talk about some of the positives, because I actually think Jack Plummer has been probably better than I expected he would be. But when you compound maybe a little bit of poor offensive line play, a little youth there with a quarterback who has some strengths, but certainly it isn't mobility. I I think anybody who's watched him understands that he is more Tanner McKee than he is Dorian Thompson Robinson. That's probably putting it lightly. Has, has, Has maybe that sort of exacerbated some of those issues in terms of protection where you've got a quarterback who can't really, I wouldn't say protect himself, but struggles to kind of move around the pocket and, and, and I guess avoid the rush. I mean, is that when you combine those two things, that seems kind of like the worst case, especially in an offense that has, especially these last few games, needed to throw the ball quite a bit to try to be competitive. Yeah, I would say that um, Plummer surprised us actually with his athleticism early on. He was doing some of those things in the first few games. Uh, right at the end of the Washington State game, something came up, foot, ankle. He was limping off the field, and uh, he's been playing through that the last couple of weeks, and he's really been not mobile at all with that, playing through that. So that's made things much worse the last couple of weeks, um, especially the last two games. Um, I would say that probably the larger issue is, you know, I was super impressed by him all spring, all fall, you know, very accurate. I was just astonished. I couldn't remember seeing him throw a pick like at any practice I was able to cover, uh, you know, making my rounds through the multiple teams. And um, just the biggest difference is that he has had a lot less time in real game action. And when there's pressure, he's just not very accurate when he's protected and he has a receiver open. He very rarely misses and the offense looks good, but he's been under pressure way too much. And he's uh, not a great accurate thrower when the pressure's in his face compounded with, that foot he's having an issue with where he can't be very mobile right now either. Yeah. Cal 11th in the pack, 12 and sacks allowed um, 111th nationally 23, I think through about seven games is not ideal. Um, but I want, I do want to talk about what I've seen from Plummer and then this past game in particular, because when it's been good, it's been, I think pretty impressive and adds an element that, okay, we, we had Chase Garbers there for, it felt like an eternity. I mean, he was, he was the quarterback there for, kind of that the DTR career arc where you started early, you played throughout his whole career, had an extra year because of COVID, et cetera. And I don't know if it's fair to say this, but and maybe it's not from the end of Garbers, but I think Plummer's added a little bit of a different element 
in the past game, along with some really talented receivers on the outside. I think that's part that like, if you're an Oregon fan, you haven't kind of done the scout, go look at even the recruiting rank rankings of a, of a J. Michael Sternovan, of a Jeremiah Hunter, of a, uh, a couple of these guys that are that were pretty highly regarded. Like J. Michael Sternovan, I think, was a top 150 recruit a couple of years ago out of Texas. Um, they have some guys out there, and, and a lot of their best players on this team are first, second, third-year skill guys. And I, I just wonder if you can say where kind of what's impressed you most with these guys, and, and does it feel like an offense – that if it needs to can kind of hang around and make things interesting just because it has some guys on the outside who can win those one-on-one battles. Yeah, that's been a little bit, a bit of the wild part is that basically every quarterback, running back, receiver tight end from last year is, is pretty much gone. Every significant one that uh, started or you know accumulated most of the stats and they've been replaced by much younger but much more perceived talented players in their spots. I mean, a lot of three stars and JUCOs and guys that were playing last year or that were seniors are now four-star freshmen and sophomores and very redshirt freshmen. I mean, the starting running back, two receivers, tight end are all four-star guys, which is a bit of a change of pace for Cal. They haven't had that kind of uh, talent equipped on, on offense to this point with Wilcox. So that's been yeah. a big boost. And Sturdivant and Hunter especially, they're getting like 10, 11 targets a game. They'll just look for those two guys pretty much all game long. They've missed Hunter a lot the last game and a half or so, and they're hoping to have him back Saturday. But those two guys, especially uh, in the passing game, paired with Jaden Ott, who's a home run threat just about any time, hasn't happened as much the last game or two, but he's got that uh, you know ability when the opportunity arises. And you, know, you see flashes of this offense where they're accomplishing things that offensive coordinator Bill Musgrave has installed and what they're trying to do. It's just been real inconsistent and that's where you see you know even last week they put up 21 points in the second half but they had a whole half where they didn't score one point and uh, you get a little bit of both of those things and it, it kind of goes as the way the O-line goes. Are they are they optimistic in Hunter this week? I know he missed last game and I think you said a little bit of the, the Colorado game what's the like what's the outlook out like there? Yeah he suited up last week but never entered the game so they're thinking he might be ready to go this time around. Okay. I think that's an important one to realize because if, if you're Oregon, and we've talked about it on our podcast, our listeners understand, Oregon really bad against the pass statistically. A lot of that has been issues not specifically at like cornerbacks one-on-one. Like I actually think Christian Gonzalez is, is one of the better cover corners in the conference and Trequas Bridges is improving, but Cal's got guys on the outside. And I think that is the one area, Along with Jade Knott, who I, I just kind of want to pick your brain on here in a second, but th- those are the areas that if, if Cal's going to hang around in this game, because I think to, to hang around and make this interesting, Cal's going to have to score points. I don't think there's any question because Oregon will get its points. I'm expecting this is an Oregon offense that's playing as well as anybody, certainly in the conference and probably nationally right now. But if, if for Cal to do so, I think it needs all hands on deck and it needs some of these young expo- explosive playmakers to, to have big days and, Let's talk about Jade Knott. This was a guy who was committed to Oregon for a while, ended up opening his recruitment up, I think, in the summer of 2020, ends up signing at Cal. True freshman, had that massive game against Arizona, 274 yards. No back in the conference has run for more yards in a game this season. But what's happened since? I, I guess I'm just perplexed. Like, okay, walk me through what happened against Arizona because he had the huge stats, three touchdowns, like I said, almost 300 yards rushing. He's had like about 150 yards combined the last three games against Washington State, Colorado, 
and Washington. And I, I will note those are much better rush defenses than Arizona, who is one of the worst in the country. But like, what changed there? Because I, I think I had expected after that explosion, you were going to see close to or more than 100 yards most weeks, and that hasn't been there. Yeah, I think up to the Arizona game, you know, even the games before that, he had a couple of big plays and uh, kind of the strategy was that he was splitting time with one or two other guys, maybe playing half the game. And I, I kind of felt like they were a little more strategic and picking their spots with him and dialing up the plays where he could get an open space, which really uh, you know showed itself against Arizona. Whereas, you know, when you play that good as you did against Arizona, now all of a sudden you're in every down back and uh, you're running between the tackles a lot more and it seemed like it just wasn't as explosive. And that was my theory. Now, last week they went back the other way and rotated more and Washington clamped down on him more than anyone has all season long. So I thought my theory maybe a little bit, but um, it is really about getting him in open space, about getting him to the outside screen passes, you know, any way where you can just get him a lane where he can break through and just outrun people because uh, he's very difficult to catch, but there just haven't been many of those seams for him the last couple games. Where does Justin Wilcox stand right now? It's funny. You're coaching two Pac-12 teams that are kind of had, they've had quite a bit of longevity, longevity, I should say at head coach with experience with Shaw and with Wilcox, both have kind of had obviously some really impressive seasons, but we're now three to four years removed from that. And now we're entering kind of some, I would say, a little bit of a downward spiral. Is there, is Wilcox, is he getting hot at all? I know he just signed an extension, I think, last December. So maybe that's crazy to talk about. But, like, I guess I'll post it to you this way. Between Shaw and Wilcox, like, are, is one of them, like, are either of them, do you think? Like, are they, you know, fighting for their jobs this year? Like, whose job is safe for almost? That's a good question. <laughs> because I don't think either – University has much intention of moving off of those two guys, regardless of, of how it's gone. Um, Wilcox, as you mentioned, just signed an extension last December that's got him through 2027. Um, so that would be quite a move to back away from that and buy him out and everything right now. Um, the weird part was after five seasons, Wilcox signs his extension, and all of a sudden it just felt like his roster totally overhauled and started from scratch, rebuild almost for mm. this particular season. And they're only going to lose like five or six guys that are out of eligibility this year on paper. Um, so this was a team you knew was going to be young, have growing pains. And this season, if they just would have beat Colorado, it's been pretty much gone on paper. That Colorado loss really, you know, if there's any reason for the seat to be hot, that, that loss warmed it up a bit. Um, that was the one game they couldn't afford to drop. But um, other than that, I don't think there's a whole lot of pressure there, but you have to also consider that they haven't had a winning season since 2019 and you're getting farther and farther away from that, the more that this rebuild goes on. So they, I don't see him having any problem coming back next year, but they really do need to turn a corner. They're going to have an older team next year, pretty much everyone back with the year under their belt. So uh, if they don't make something happen next season, maybe they, uh, something happens there or if they got to ramp up this process um, with Stanford, I think it's all on, David Shaw's terms um, whenever he decides that if he, if he can't do it, then maybe he'll go do something else. But I don't see him getting fired over there. It's just a weird, it's just kind of weird in the Bay area with these programs right now. Cause you know, I've been around enough, long enough watching these schools to when I remembered when there was 
pretty strong fan turnout and interest and you turn on either of these teams games now and it looks like the stadiums aren't very well attended Stanford I think is giving away like free you, you can just walk in now apparently in Stanford and watch a football game am I reading that right Jackson is that the new thing so it's a free trial you can uh, pledge for 2023 season tickets test out the seats this year for the last two games and if you don't like it you can cancel <laughs> it's I've never heard of, have you heard of I've never seen that before I thought that was interesting and and I guess my larger point is I, I just this is a weird time in the conference, obviously, with realignment and, and Cal and Stanford, along with Oregon and Washington, are, are, are programs that are, have been talked about as possibly being courted by the Big Ten, They're joining USC and UCLA in, in, in kind of like a Western pod. It, it feels like you'd like to see more interest from these fan bases to try to accomplish the fact, like to prove the fact that like you're deserving of staying with the the major conferences or being, you know, among them. I just like, is fan interest, do you think it's waning right now at Cal? It certainly feels like it is. Is that a, a bad read for me? I'm, I'm, I'm far away. I'm going to be at the game on Saturday. I, I think I've attended probably the last three or four that fans could be in the stands for that were at Memorial um, between Oregon and Washington, or sorry, Oregon and Cal. It feels like every time I'm out there, it's just a little bit, more sparsely attended is that a fair read or, or am i kind of mischaracterizing it you know they did announce they're about thirty-five thousand against washington last weekend and of course that number is certainly inflated but i don't think it was by a, a terribly large amount um we saw even last year where cal had some some rough parts in that season and it was super duper empty. So, um, you know, at least more people were interested last weekend for Washington coming to town than sometimes even as recently as last season. Um, you know, it's a pretty big stadium for Cal, so it's going to look empty. Uh, they've tried to remodel some of the end zones for like party sections and stuff to <laughs> alleviate some of that. But, uh, you know, if they ever had some momentum going and um, some a needle moving team, uh, it might not take a whole lot of effort to really uh, see a resurgence there. Whereas, you know, Stanford is, I think, a bit of a, a different issue. Um, uh, I mean, you're so far removed from being top 10 type of teams that, that was drawn big crowds not too long ago. Um, and then you also look at those two teams. I mean, where what other power five markets are you going to have? losing teams for three or four years where you don't make a coaching change, where at least that you get excited, you know, about a new regime and stuff and you get optimistic. Whereas both of these programs have been staying the course and they haven't uh, really had a turning point in a while. So um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if uh, anything does start to move the needle for any of those programs. Um, doesn't seem like it's going to happen before the end of this year, at least. Is there would you say you think this game will be fairly well attended? Like you said, 35,000 was reported against Washington. This is a, a top 10 Oregon team. I know Washington is obviously another program in the conference that quote unquote moves the needle in terms of a, a visiting opponent. But like, are you, are you expecting to see a pretty good sized crowd for this one or, or kind of what's the outlook for this? Is there a lot of enthusiasm, I guess, down there? Uh, well, not a lot of enthusiasm for Cal right now, but the opponent I think will draw and, having a top 10 team in town and having a 1230 kickoff, I think it won't look much different compared to a lot of the games this season. I would expect, even though uh, the morale is uh, at a bit of a low right now. Last couple before we let you go, Jackson, appreciate your time. Um, 
when you look at this Cal team and, you know, I think it's interesting because I, I was thinking before the show of when Oregon was about to play Arizona, it was like, wow, here's this exciting skill talent, throw the ball, this quarterback that's pretty, that can do a lot of things. Well, Cal beat that Arizona team kind of handedly. But I don't know if I don't know if it's just because Cal kind of lacks a little of that flash. But this I think this matchup is sort of it hasn't been one that's really enthused Oregon's fan base in terms of kind of previewing it. You read our message boards, there's a lot of confidence, and part of that is Oregon against Arizona. You were still kind of uncertain about what they were, and they've, they've since now beaten the top ten UCLA team pretty handily. Like when you look at this Cal team, does it feel like a team that maybe is being overlooked, or is the fact that they've lost three straight games and uh, you know, dealing with some injuries and they've got some pretty glaring holes in the trenches. Is it, is it fair to say that they are like is the 17 points feels like a lot of points between what's been a really competitive rivalry. The last three games we should note have been like one score games. Does that 17 points feel apt to you? Does that feel unfair at all? I'm just curious and kind of how you're perceiving this matchup. Yeah, I think it's fair. You know, I, when we did this similar talk before Stanford, I went into that game, you know, as bad as the Cardinal looked, it was like, well, if they ever played a complete game with their talent level, they could pull off a win. And they did that at Notre Dame, albeit not a top 10 team when they saw them. But I mean, right. that was a, they were 17 point underdogs there and they pulled off that win. Whereas I look at Cal and I just don't see the infrastructure to <laughs> expect, even with an A game for them to pull off this type of a win. I just think the Issues on the O-line and the D-line especially and even outside linebacker are so prevalent that it's going to be tough to pull it off for four quarters. Um, I mean, Cal does go on spurts on both sides of the ball, and maybe if they win the turnover battle and have a few things bounce their way, they could pull it off. But um, it's going to take more than just an A-game, I think, from Cal and more than the lines uh, just blowing out their – um, projection from what you expect to what they would actually do. Uh, it's going to take a, a few lucky bounces, I think, for them to win a game like this. Well, Jackson, I think the next question and the last one I had was the three things Cal must do to win. You just kind of answered almost all of them in your last answer. You said it's turnovers, it's line play, um, it's playing an A game. Is there any other keys or any matchups that you look at with this one you go for, for Cal to be successful? this or that has to happen or this player against this player has to play well, or this position group against that position group has to play really well. Is there any other things that we're missing with this one? Um, maybe just the receiver cornerback battles. I mean, Hunter and Sturdivant are both guys where when Plummer has time, he usually finds them and then they move the ball. It's just been a little too uh, inconsistent and a little too rare when those times have happened. But if for some reason Calzo line takes a step forward and, and they can, execute more of their offense I mean they'll those two guys will have 10 plus targets and eight or nine catches if the game goes the way they want it to and uh, I mean that could be enough to put some points on the board um, maybe more so than we would anticipate I'm expecting this game to be maybe a little more high scoring than what Cal's used to based upon or not what they're used to, but what they're kind of been up for recently. Oregon's offense has really been clicking on all cylinders. I'll be curious to see if Cal can hang around. Jackson, that's all we had for you on this show. I appreciate you coming on, buddy. Um, for those listening, we'll have our preview show on Friday. Matt will be back. Jared will be back. The whole crew before we head down to Berkeley, where Matt and I will be to cover this game um, on site at Memorial Stadium, 1230 kick, Fox Sports 1. Um, 
for the TV aspect of things. And, and on obviously Saturday evening sometime, we'll have a reaction podcast up on this feed as well. So um, for Eric Scopel, thanking Jackson Moore for being here again. And boy, we won't see you again for another year. And then we'll have to do this again two or three more times, depending upon. We have Hawaii next year, so it will be three times. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there we go. We'll be doing this a lot more again. Appreciate your time, buddy. And uh, talk to you later, folks. Yeah, thanks for having me. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.